0: Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we praise you for your word, and we thank you that it is living and breathing, and it is, Lord, it desires to minister to each heart that's here. And Father, I know that nobody's here by chance this morning, but by, by the power of your Holy Spirit and through divine appointment, Lord, we're all here. And I just pray that you administer to each one, Father God, you would be our teacher, and just transform us, Father God, as we look at the love of Jesus. We thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. So again, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 18 where we left off last week. But just by the way of introduction, I want to tell you that the title of the message this morning is The Love of Jesus. And there's nothing greater in the world to talk about than that. And we're going to see the contrast in the way that He loved different people. But I also want to just talk and and catch you up as to what happened last week. Now last week we saw the contrast between unbelief and and faithfulness. We saw the unbelief of the religious Jews of the day, who even though Jesus had done miraculous signs and wonders right in front of them, it says in the text that they still didn't believe. Jesus was raising people from the dead. He was healing people. Lazarus, a guy who had been dead for four days in the ground, was standing in their midst and they still didn't believe. And we talked about the fact that the reason people believe is not because of miracles. Miracles do not produce belief. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... The Word of God. It's God's Word that transforms lives, and it's not the miraculous. God is still in the miracle business. He can still heal people. He can still do great things today. But He does it for His glory. Amen? And it's to draw people unto Himself, but people are not going to get saved because of miracles. So we saw that unbelief produced a hardened heart, that the, the heart of unbelief seeks the praise of men above the praise of God, it walks in darkness and it rejects the Word. And we keep this in mind because we're going to be talking about a man this morning who unbelief overtook his life. And then we saw the faithfulness of, of our Savior. And we're going to see that hours before the cross, He's headed to the cross as we come to John 13, literally it's the last night before Jesus is going to go on trial, and He comes before them, and he's hours away from his crucifixion. And remember, he walked in, and they're getting ready to have this feast in the upper room. And remember that all the disciples were arguing about something. Who remembers? What were they arguing about? Who is the greatest? I'm greater than you, you know, can't you just see him? And they're talking about how great they were. And in the midst of their argument over who's the greatest, Jesus takes and says he girds himself, which is taking on the, the garment of a slave. It's, the, it's how he would be robed on the cross. And he takes it and he gets on his, gets on his knees and takes a, the water and begins to wash the disciples' feet. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. And instead of comforting the one who was about to go to the cross, the one that was about to go to the cross was comforting a bunch of guys who were arguing about who was the greatest. And we talked about last week how he, didn't, he did not you know, get up and give them a speech on stinky feet because these guys have been walking around in the mud and had no doubt had mud-covered stinky feet. Instead of, of teaching them or getting up and instructing them, he, he showed them by example and he got down and he washed their feet. He set aside his glory in heaven and took on the... the simplicity of man, and so here we see him taking off his robe and robing himself as his servant and washing the disciples' feet. Through his faithfulness, through our faithfulness, we see that it produces a submitted heart. A faithful person does the will of the Father, has a supernatural love for others. Keep that in mind, we'll see that this morning. His discerning of evil knows the heart of God. So this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Again, Jesus had just washed their feet. They're still in the upper room. It's hours before his arrest and or, or his crucifixion, and he continues to teach and instruct and prepare his disciples for their soon departure. So I titled the message this morning, The Love of Jesus. And we're going to see the love of Jesus as he reaches out to one who's about to betray him, a man by the name of Judas. We'll be taking a look at him this morning, and Jesus is going to reach out even to the man who's about to betray him. We'll see that the love of Jesus should be evident in every one of his followers, as we'll see this morning, they shall know us by the love we have one for another. And then lastly, we'll see that the love of Jesus even comforts a man who's about to go out and deny him. Along with his betrayer, Judas, sitting in the room was the one who was going to deny him, Peter. And we're going to see Jesus in his love reaching out to all of them, just as the Lord desires to reach out to each one of us. So let's begin in verse 18 of John 13, where we left off last week, and here's what it says. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know, who, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. In John thirteen eleven, it says, For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Earlier in verse 11, he said, You're not all clean. And he said that because even though he was washing their feet and cleansing their feet, they, their feet would be cleansed outwardly, but they're not cleansed inwardly. They still needed to give their life to the Lord. We cannot be born again through holy living. And we talked last week how Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. Remember that? You'll never wash my feet. And then, he, then the Lord said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And then Peter said, give me a bath. You remember that? Wash my whole body. And we talked about the fact that we only need to be bathed or cleansed, that the full body cleansing at one time when you give your life to Jesus Christ. But after that, in our walk, we struggle. And we need to come before the Lord daily, hourly, and say, Lord, cleanse my walk, and that, as he did in cleansing their feet. But we see here that you can't just cleanse your feet, there still must be that full body washing that takes place first. The verse must be a, an admission of our sin and our need for a Savior before we can enter into fellowship with the Lord. And so we see here that, that he washed the feet of Judas, but Judas was still not all clean. Judas can... Do the good works. You can go to church every week and you can do good things, but you still are in desperate need of a Savior. Now, Judas was a hypocrite. Now, what's a hypocrite? We hear that word tossed around a lot. The word hypocrite means a mask wearer. Back in those days when they had a, a play or a drama or a program of some kind, pe- you know, they, you'd sit up in an amphitheater. They didn't have sound systems like we have today. And to be able to tell the emotions of the actors, they would hold up these huge masks in front of their face, showing either sadness or 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 joy, and that's what's called a hypocrite. And so that's what it is, is to be a hypocrite, is to wear a mask, is to pretend to be something that we're not. And Judas was a man who pretended to be something that he was not. He had fooled the disciples, but he did not fool Jesus. Jesus again said, I know whom I have chosen. And Judas' treachery was not a surprise to Jesus. He knows who his followers are. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God knows who we are, and he knows who's walking with him. He was never a true believer, ever. Judas was never a true believer, even though he had seen the works of God, the miracles of God, the healings of God. He had seen Jesus Christ uh, when he taught, and again, he continued, though, to be a thief. He continued to be one who sought after his own personal gain. He heard Jesus warn about unbelief, and he continued to reject it. Jesus washed his feet, and he still would not repent. You know the sad part about this, you guys? I want you to hear this. How close a person can come And still be lost how a person can you know have the 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 outward appearance of being a christian maybe they grew up in a christian home and maybe they pretend that they, they have this walk with god but in reality they don't have a relationship remember it's not religion it's a relationship with the creator of the universe through the death of his son amen we're going to see that next week as Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, it's interesting, it says in, in the verse, he who eats the bread with me has lifted up his heel against me, the second part of the verse there. Now, that's actually a quote from Psalm 41, nine. If you take notes, that's from Psalm 41, nine, And Psalm 41 was written by a man by the name of David. Now, David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it in regard to a man who was one of his confidants, a man by the name of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was a man who was David's right-hand guy, and he was a guy that David trusted in and David sought counsel from, but David had committed sin with Bathsheba and they had a son by the name of Absalom. And we know that Absalom rebelled against David, and when he rebelled, Ahithophel ended up rebelling against David and going with Absalom against David. And David wrote this talking about, he who eats bread with me, he who I have fellowship with, has lifted up his heel against me. And so this man who was his trusted advisor had lifted up his heel and kicked him. But what happened to David was a picture of what was going to happen to Jesus. Because Ahithophel, you know how Ahithophel died, those of you who really study the Old Testament scripture, Ahithophel went out after betraying David and feeling guilty about it, he went out and he hanged himself. Who does that sound like? It's Judas, it's a type or a picture of Judas, and here it is, this happened hundreds of years earlier in speaking about Ahithophel, now Jesus says this is the fulfillment of the scripture in that Judas is going to do the very same thing. By the way, nothing is in the Bible by chance, if it's in the word, it's in there for a reason, God's word is perfect. Verse 19, now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. You know, Jesus reveals the betrayal of Judas before it happens to confirm that he being God knows all and to reinforce the inerrancy of Scripture. Judas' betrayal would not weaken their faith. He didn't want them to go, man, look look what happened. Maybe, maybe the Lord didn't know. Maybe he was duped. He wants them to know ahead of time. Look, let me explain to you. I know that he's going to betray me, but through his betrayal, I don't want your faith to be weak- weakened. I want it to be strengthened. Jesus said that many will turn away from the Lord. And when people walk away, it shouldn't be a thing where you go, oh man, well maybe it's not true. We should see just the the fact that walking with God, that narrows that path. And most people will not find it. Most people will walk away and choose to walk their own walk. And that's what Judas is about to do. And the Lord wanted them to know, I know what's about to happen. You can't get one over on God. Amen? You can't fool God. You can't trick God. God knows your heart. He knows your intent. He knows why you're at church this morning, and he loves you very, very much. So he wanted their faith to be strengthened when they saw Jesus' words being fulfilled, and again, even more proof that Jesus is God. By the way, the ultimate purpose for prophecy, it's got one purpose above all others. It's to prove that Jesus is God. Amen? Why does he give prophecy? So we know the future? Well, yeah, but ultimately, it's to show and to prove that he says in this text that I am he. Remember again, this is a, a proclamation of deity, I am. Remember back in the Old Testament, when they were sent back to, to free, when Moses was sent back to free the, the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, he asked him, what shall I tell me your name is? And what did he say? He said, my name is I am. And when he says, I am he, he's saying, I am. Jesus is openly proclaiming himself to be God because that's exactly who he is. Verse 20. Most surely I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus reinforces his divine calling on both his disciples and his close link to them. You know, the disciples are Jesus' ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes and represents someone else. He's a representative on behalf of his country. Well, we are representatives on behalf of Jesus Christ. When people see us, they should see the Lord. Now, we're not perfect, amen? That's why we're here we need to we need christ to continually fill us with his spirit and direct us and lead us and guide us we blow it christians again are certainly not perfect but our desire should be holy and to walk with him and to love others the way that he loves us and to be an example of him to be the moon as we talked about right the the moon is the reflection of the s-u-n right if the sun's not shining you would never see the moon and we should be the moon be the reflection of the s-o-n and when people see us they should see a picture of christ and so he looks at these guys and he says, You know what? Those who are sent of me will be representatives of me. He receives you, receives me. So when people receive the Word of God from us, they're receiving the Lord. And he says, And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And who sent him? The Father did. Just as he represents the Father, so too his disciples would represent him. And again, receiving them would be receiving the Son. And the Father. But on the opposite end, rejecting then Jesus would also be rejecting the Father. So he's reinforcing that relationship in anticipation of Judas, again, rejecting him. So he says, if you receive me, you receive the Father. If you reject him, you reject the Father. Let me make it real clear. there's anybody here this morning, if you reject Jesus Christ, you reject God. Amen? Jesus is going to say next week, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so no one else died on the cross for your sin. No one else paid the price. No one else was sinless and perfect. No one else was the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ alone. And so if you try to get there through any other man or through any other ism or through any other path, well, guess what? You reject Jesus. You've rejected the Father. And he's making it very clear. And again, that's not because God's a no fun bummer God and he's narrow. It's because the truth is narrow. Amen? The truth is the truth. There's only one truth. There's not 50 truths. And he says, you receive me. You receive the Father. Those who receive those whom I sent receive me. So either we're followers of Almighty God through the perfect Son, Jesus Christ, or we're following something else that leads to death. Verse 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, I titled the message, The Love of Jesus. Jesus is reaching out to Judas. The first thing that he did to Judas, and we're going to see this in a moment, is he seated him in the place of honor at the table, at Jesus' right side. Then after seating him at the place of honor, he got up and went over and washed all the, peop- the, the, the feet of all the disciples, including Judas's feet. Now he's sitting at the table, and he's letting them know that one of you is going to betray me. And I believe, again, Another opportunity to reach out to Judas to say, Judas, I know what you're about to do. You have not fooled me. I love you. And we're going to see again him reaching out to to show him that love. The word troubled here is the same word that Jesus used when he saw Lazarus' sisters in John 11 when they were weeping over the death of their brother. The love of Jesus weeps for his creation. He weeps at at what sin has done. What has sin done? Sin has separated Sinful man from holy God. And it brought forth death and pain and suffering. Anything going on in the world today that's, that's evil and vile as a result of sin. Had we not sinned, there'd be no death. Had we not sinned, there'd be no suffering. There'd be no pain. And so our Savior weeps it over, the, over the consequences of sin. And he was troubled in his spirit because he knew what Judas was about to do. And it breaks his heart because he loves him. Again, we see the broken and troubled heart of our Savior over Judas. It is, the Bible says it is his desire that none should perish, no not one. And the word none there means none. Amen? It's his desire that no one be separated from him. He loves us all very much. The Bible says again that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he loves you beyond what you can even understand. That's the God that we serve. And so it breaks his heart when people reject his love. When they walk away And they don't care that he died, and they don't care the price that he paid. It breaks his heart. Now it says here, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Most assuredly, some of your Bible translations say, truly, truly. It's a prophetic warning to the other eleven. He's reaching out to the betrayer again, and just showing that he's omniscient, that he knows everything, another opportunity for Judas to repent. But again, instead of repenting, Judas turns away. But it was also a warning to the other eleven. Again, hey guys, I know what's happening. Jesus was not drugged to the cross. He went there of his own free will. Amen? They didn't arrest him, he arrested them, as we're going to see in a few weeks. And so, Jesus, looking out, he knows what's about to happen. He announces to his guys that he is about to be betrayed. Verse 22. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. The disciples had no idea who the traitor would be. Some people think Judas wore like a black robe and had this snidely whiplash, you know, mustache, you know, and walking around with a pitchfork or something, right? <laughs> you know, and they think that that was Judas, but Judas looked like the other 11 guys. When Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me, everybody looked around and said, "Lord, who? Who could it possibly be? Because again, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And again, we can fool the people at church. You can fool the pastor. You can fool your parents. But you cannot fool God. God knows who you are. He knows what what you're thinking about. He knows what's in your heart. And you can dupe the world. But popularity with men is not what it's all about. It's about having relationship with God. Amen? We don't vote. We're not going to get to heaven and vote on who gets in. So what do you guys think? All right, Pastor Dave. What do you guys think? Every day, who thinks you should go to heaven? Raise your hand. That's not happening in heaven, amen? If it were, I'd be even nicer to you guys, right? I mean, but here's the reality. What happens in heaven is either I have a relationship with him or I don't. Either I've been adopted into his family and I'm a child of the king or I'm not. And we can fool the world, but we cannot fool God. And Judas was sitting there and he had been walking with these guys for three years and they still didn't know that this was the guy that was going to be the traitor. They looked around at each other and thought. Now, isn't it interesting that they're arguing over who's the greatest, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me? They're arguing over who's the greatest, and Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. One of you guys is going to go out and, and, again, speak against me and turn me over to the authorities and betray me. Again, we cannot fool God. He sees us. He knows our heart, but the good news is, He that knows me best, again, loves me most. Verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now in those days, they didn't sit at a table. They had little couches, in a sense, that went around the table, and they would lean on their side against their left arm, and they would eat in a leaning position, typically with their feet straight out or their feet behind them. And so when they were eating, they would be leaning toward the person next to them. And so we see here, he says that that there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one whose head was near his chest, of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now I love this, that he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is this that's talking? This is John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. Now I've heard some people say that John was being arrogant. Yeah, the deci- you know, we're talking about who's the greatest? I'm the disciple who Jesus loved, that's right. Now that's not what it is, at all. You have to remember that though this is written by God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God used John's hand to write it. And this was written some 40 years after Jesus was crucified. And as John is looking back on that moment, and he's already been through the cross, he's already been walking with the Lord, he's filled with the Spirit of the living God, I believe he's looking back and he is blown away that Jesus loves him. He's blown away that above all, all else, that, you know what, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves and it blows my mind that he loves me. It reminds me of a story of a man who was eight, an 88-year-old theologian, a Bible scholar. And, he, and after all of his years of biblical study and after all the things that he had done and he had written some different doctors and things, this guy was questioned at this conference by all these younger pastors. And they said to him, you know, pastor, in all your years of studying the Bible, What is the deepest truth? What are some of the deepest truths you can reveal to us? You know, we want to learn from all of your experience. You know what he said? He stood up and he said, this is the thing that I have learned and I've learned greater and greater the more years I spend with God. And here's what he said. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? The song that you're singing when you're three years old in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so is there any greater or deeper truth in the world than that Jesus loves you this you should know because the Bible tells you so and the guy sat down because the the more that we get to know God the more it should blow us away at his love for us amen and I believe John is looking back saying man I'm the disciple that Jesus loved you know what if you're here this morning you're his child who he loves if you've given your life to him. And even if you have not given your life to him yet, he loves you. He loves you so much that he'd rather die than live without you. He's seen every wicked, vile thing you've ever done. He's a loving, gracious, and forgiving God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. That's the God we serve. Verse 24. Simon P- Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him who it was of whom he spoke. Now here's good old Pete. You've got to love Peter. Now, imagine if the Lord told him who it was. What do you think would have happened? Who do you think would have been the first one to jump up and just pounce on the guy? Is there any doubt in your mind? What happened when they came to arrest Jesus? Who grabbed his sword and chopped off Malchus's ear? That was Peter. So, Peter, can you imagine you sitting across the table, John's next to him, and he probably looked across and went, Dude, find out who it is. Find, find out. I mean, can, you know, Peter's over there ready to whoop off on him, right? Peter's over there, like, dude, John, you're next to him. Find out. Let's go, man. Let's, hey, you know, let's roll, right? I mean, he's ready to rally up, <laughs> and he's ready to go take off, take some heads off. Now, again, we see the love of Jesus Christ in that He continues to protect Judas up until the very moment. Again, Judas, what Judas would do is in ult, God's ultimate plan because it would lead to the cross that would pay for the price for our death on the cross. And God, but at the same time, I believe God is reaching out to Judas one more time. He doesn't turn and say, hey, Pete, it's Judas. Get him, right? And they'd just be they they pounding on him, right? But it didn't happen. Instead, the Lord protected him. Peter, the most outspoken and proactive, again, wanted to, to probably pounce on Judas. And Jesus answered, now he's speaking to John, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, this is interesting. Because where does John learn truth? Where is John when he hears this truth that nobody else at the table hears? Where is he? He's got his head on Jesus' chest. He's got his head near the heart of the Savior. You want direction for your life? You want to have understanding and wisdom? Where should you be? Near the heart of the Savior. Amen? You want to know, you want to know the truth? Get near the truth, Jesus Christ. And so John's there, and he leans down, and he he speaks to him, and we know it's in a quiet voice because nobody else hears him. Certainly Peter didn't hear him, or there would have been WWF going on in the upper room, right? But Peter didn't hear him, but he turns around, and he shares with him, the one who I dip the bread and I give it to, it's him that will betray me. Now this is interesting because that was also an extreme honor. When Jesus reached down and dipped in the bread and then handed it to Judas, everybody at the table would have thought that he was honoring Judas. So Judas is seated in the place of honor. Jesus has washed his feet. And now Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me. Again, reaching out to him one more time. Then he reaches down and takes the bread and hands him the bread, seated in the place of honor. And everybody in the room would have thought that Judas was being honored. And again, one more time, Jesus in His love is reaching out even to one who would betray Him. As His followers, shouldn't we too be reaching out to those who betray us? Those who are wicked and vile against us? Those who are hateful towards us. I'll talk about that more in a moment. But we see that example as Jesus, again, in that quiet voice, reaches out, again, ministering to Judas, reaching out to Judas, up to that very hour, He protected him. The love of Jesus reaches out to those who betray him. And again, seated in that place of honor. And Jesus' last attempt to reach out of him. But here's here's the thing, guys Jesus suffers long, the Bible says. He'll suffer long, but he won't suffer always. Because look at the very next verse, verse 27. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Let me tell you something right now Satan cannot go where he's not welcome. Satan cannot enter a place where he's not, that we're not receptive to him. You know what? Satan cannot, you cannot have the spirit of God and the demonic living in the same place. Why is that? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? No such thing as demon-possessed Christians. That's noise. That's weak. That's noise that it's not true. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? But what we do is we open ourselves up to the enemy. We can make ourselves receptive to the enemy by the way we live our lives, by getting caught up in the occult, by getting caught up in different things, where Satan is lifted up. And that's what happens here is that he just said no to Jesus over and over and over and over again. Jesus reaches out to him, showing him his love, showing him his grace, showing him his mercy, and Judas keeps saying, not interested. No thanks. Remember, what was Judas's love? He had the love of what? Money. And he had already, before this happened, he had gone and he had for 30 pieces of silver said that he would make sure that they could find Jesus when no one else was around so the crowd wouldn't rise up and he would betray him for the price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. You know what? He was the greatest servant of all and he was sold for the price of a slave. John 6 says, But these are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. In John 6, 70, Jesus answered and said, Did I not choose you the twelve and one of you is a devil? Even though Jesus knew what he was doing it was judas of his own free will who chose to betray jesus jesus knew that judas was going to betray him but judas chose to betray him of his own free will do you know that god knows every one of you who will accept him as, as savior does he does, you know what he knew before he created the world if you would accept him or reject him but he did not make you choose amen he gave you free will he allows you, but He's God. He knows everything. He's all-knowing God, so He knows who will accept Him and who will reject Him. And He knows each one of you in your heart this, this morning. He knows where you're at with Him, and He knows where you're going to end up with Him. He had already met with the religious leaders. He had already sold Him out. And on this final night, Jesus reaches out to him, and He still rejects Him. It's sad. It's really sad because, you know what it says in Matthew 26? Jesus says, Woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. That's not good. When Jesus says of you, It'd be better for you if you'd never been born. That's not good. That'd that'd be no bueno, right? That's really bad. When the Lord says of Judas, It'd be better if that guy had never been walked on the face of the planet because his judgment is going to be heavy. And even though he heard it, he hardened his heart, that heart of unbelief. And then the Lord says to him, What you do, do quickly. I'm not going to stop you from what you've purposed in your heart. You've given yourself to Satan. You know what you're going to do. Be quick about it. Jesus' time had come. It was time for him to go to the cross. And it's interesting to me that Satan thought the cross was his greatest victory and ultimately it was his greatest defeat. Amen? And the Lord said, I know what you're going to do. Go. You've hardened your heart. You won't turn back. And that's what happened here because of unbelief. Verse 28. But what But no one at the table knew what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy these things we need for the feast, or that he should go give something to the poor. Since Judas was the treasurer, it was logical to think that he'd been sent out to go buy something for the feast, or to go give to the poor. And though Satan again had entered him, uh, Judas was doing it, doing the bidding of Satan now. Jesus is still in control. Again, Satan means to use it to destroy Jesus But again, God is in control. Now look at verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Now this is interesting. What a contrast. Judas is in the upper room sitting with Jesus and the other disciples. Jesus is about to give his his upper room discourse to train and, and exhort them and equip them as he's getting ready to go to the cross. And Judas walks away from the truth and goes outside lets Satan enter him and he walks out and it's night the upper rooms illuminated with the power of God the Holy Spirit is there almighty God is there and outside he's now alone he's in utter darkness he's seeking to find fulfillment from the riches of the world he has no direction or meaning to life he's led by the chief of liars who only wants to steal kill and destroy him That's Satan it's gonna result in utter despair anguish suffering torment pain and eter- for all eternity, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and knowing it was his choice. You know, when Judas is, where Judas is right now, it's still night. Amen? He's still in darkness. He's still separated from God. And he will be forevermore. But it was his choice. And I don't relate to this totally because, thank God, by His grace, I'm not in a position where I'm ever going to have Satan entering into me. But there are times when I, in my own walk as a believer, have chosen to do something outside of God's will. How many of you can relate to that? And you know what? Have you ever felt the darkness of it? You walk away and you know you're out of God's will. You know where you're standing is not the place that you belong. And you know what? You're alone and you're gripped. And you're grieved, and here's the good news, you can take a million steps away from God, but it really is only one step back, amen? And we see here that they, he walks out and it's dark. And, the, and Satan, the greatest liar of all, sought only to destroy him. Jesus wanted to give him life, and Satan wanted to destroy him, and he chose to walk in darkness and to deny the way and the truth and the life. The love of Jesus reached out to Judas, but Judas rejected it. I want to say to each one of you this morning, the love of Jesus is reaching out to you. He loves you more than you can understand. The love of God is also evident in his followers. Look at verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. As soon as as Judas went out, the Lord said, God is glorified. Isn't that interesting? How is he going to be glorified? Through the cross. What was Judas going to do to betray him? and Jesus gets up and says that I'm going to be glorified he points again to the fact of his humanity that God would be glorified in him and his appointment with the cross had now come verse 32 if God is glorified in him God also will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately in another version it says that after God is given glory because of him God will bring glory to him and God will do it very soon glory is going to come through him at the cross Glory will be in Him at the resurrection, and it will take place very soon because Jesus is just hours away from His crucifixion. How was Jesus glorified? What did He do to be glorified? He went to the cross and He was doing the will of the Father. So too, you and I will glorify God by being obedient to doing the will of the Father. The Bible says, if any man desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Jesus was glorified through death. How will Jesus be glorified in our lives when we die to ourselves? When it's no longer about me and it starts being about him. Amen? Jesus' love ought to be evident in the lives of every one of us. In Galatians 2.20 it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. world says exalt self. Bible says, deny self. Verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me as I have said to the Jews and where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, he says, little children, this is a term of endearment. How many of you know that you're his children? Don't you love that? You've been adopted into his family, but he doesn't say it when Judas is there. Jesus has an incredible love. For his disciples, he's hours away from his arrest, from his beating, his mocking, his scourging, and his crucifixion, but he still is thinking about others. He's thinking about the disciples. He seeks to prepare them and to comfort them and to instruct them. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus' love is shown in his reaching out to the betrayer, but now it should be evident in the believer. Now this is interesting though, he says a new commandment. Doesn't it say in Leviticus, all the way back in Leviticus, that we are to love one another? And we're to love strangers as ourselves. It says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. How is this a new commandment then? He's been telling them since the beginning to love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. How is this a new commandment? Let me tell you how it's a new commandment. Look what it says here. Let me read it to you again. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. What's even greater than loving your neighbor as yourself? It's loving your neighbor the way Christ has loved you. How much did Christ love you? How much did He love you? This is the love we are to show to one another. Not even just esteeming others greater than ourselves, but loving people the way that Christ loves us. Being willing to die, being willing to lay down our lives. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love in a way that may cost you your life. Not just loving generally but sacrificially you know what there's no reconciliation apart from death what does that mean unless something dies there cannot be restoration in the old testament they had the death of the lamb that pointed toward the coming messiah and it restored sinful man back to holy god jesus goes to the cross to restore sinful man back to holy god you want restoration in your relationships somebody's got to die amen You want to have a a God-centered marriage? Somebody's got to die. Now, wait a minute. That just doesn't seem fair. Now, understand this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. The crowd is taunting him. Blood is flowing from his scourging. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Now, you might be sitting here saying, that doesn't make sense to me. Let me tell you why it doesn't, because the word for love there is agape. And we use the word love a lot in our language, right? I love tacos. I love my wife. That better be a little different, right? I love the Niners, I love tacos, I love my wife. Wait a minute, that better not all be the same. And for you guys, it better not be loving the tacos more than your wife, okay? Or the 49. And so, we have, there's four words in the language that are used for love, and I'll talk about those in a minute, but one's agape, and agape is loving someone outside yourself more than yourself. It's saying, I love you more than I love me. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Jesus did? But you might say, well, wait a minute. But I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't have to die. I did not. Did Jesus do anything wrong? But I'm right in this argument. Was Jesus right? But he died anyway. Amen? And you know what? You want to have an awesome marriage, guys, gals? Die in your marriage. Esteem the other person greater than yourself, but love them the way that Christ loved you. God will do great and awesome things. You know what though, but what if I die? Does that mean that there'll definitely be reconciliation? If I die and do it all, then they're going to turn, right? And they're going to be kind to me. No, Jesus died. Did everybody turn to be kind to him? Did everyone repent? But we're supposed to die anyway, amen? That's what God's called us to do. Verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The word for love, again, there's four different words. There's Aaron, and that's a physical love. That's the physical love. It's where you get the word erotic. Phileo is a brotherly love. Storge is an affection like you might have for a, a, a pet. But agape is giving, expecting, nothing in return. Now, you can experience Aaron, phileo, and storge in your flesh. In your flesh, you can experience all those other kinds of love, but you cannot experience agape unless you're walking in the spirit. Can't happen. Impossible. That's why the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you marry somebody that doesn't know God and you do, guess what? You can have agape love for them, but they cannot have agape love for you. It's impossible. And that's why your marriage will suffer. The love of Jesus should be evident in the agape that we have for one another. As Jesus washed people's feet, let's be washing people's feet. Amen? Let's esteem others greater than ourselves. Let's have that supernatural love. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Where, where, where am I? And Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. The love of Jesus should be evident in us. The love of Jesus reached out to the betrayer. And lastly, we're going to see here these last few minutes, that the love of Jesus would comfort one who would be, deny him. Now he told the, deci- the uh, Jews that where I am going, you cannot come. But he told Peter, where I am going, you will soon follow me. Here's the good news. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but guess what? We will be with Him soon and very soon. Amen? And where He's going, we will be with Him one day. And we will follow Him. But we can only follow Him if we've been saved by Him. Jesus told Peter, where I go, you cannot follow me, but you will afterward. Peter's faith wasn't strong enough to follow Him yet. Peter, you know, Peter, people look at him, he was an awesome guy. God used him mightily after Pentecost after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, before he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he was Mr. Ready, Fire, Aim, Peter, right? He was Mr. Do stuff first and hope it works out later. He'd be grabbing swords and doing all kinds of stuff. He would tell Jesus what to do. That's not good, by the way, when you're telling God what to do. He'd be telling the Lord, now here's what you need to do. No, I ain't going with that program. We're not, you, you're not, we're not having you go to the cross. That ain't going to work. That's not, that's, not my, that's not in my agenda, Lord. We've got another plan here, okay? They get on the Mount Transfiguration, and he's up there telling the Lord, we need to put a tabernacle for each one of you guys. We need to have some church growth up in here. If you could just glow like that every week, we, could, we have a huge crowd coming up here. And so Peter would be telling the Lord what to do all the time. And the Lord said, you know what, you're not ready to follow me yet, man. You've got to die first. You've got to die to your will. You've got to die to your understanding and need to be filled instead with mine. Verse 37. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And you know what? Peter would grab a sword and get in a fight. But at the same time, I believe this is immature zeal. Where later when he lays down his life, how, how does Christian tradition say that Peter died? Who knows? He was crucified upside down. He would die for the Lord later. But he would die as a man who who had grown in maturity with the Lord, who was filled with the Spirit of the living God, who was used mightily by the Lord, and he laid down his life, not in a brawl, not in a bar fight, not grabbing a sword and whipping up on some folks out of control, but he laid down his life for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying here, you are not ready yet, verse 38. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most surely I say to you, the rooster shall crow, shall not crow till you've denied me three times. Peter, you're not, not only are you not ready to lay down your life, but you won't even stand up to defend me. You're going to deny me. Remember, he was going to be standing by a fire, and a teenage girl was going to say, you're one of them. You're, you're with Jesus. You're with Jesus. And Peter's going to go, I don't even know. What are you talking about? This is a little girl. I don't know what you're talking about. And he even, the Bible says he swears. He curses. I don't know who you're talking about. And right at that moment, he looks up, and whose eyes meet his across the courtyard? Jesus sees him. Man, talk about heavy. And he went away and wept bitterly. But here's the good news. I believe that these next three verses, we're going to close with this, are words that Jesus gave to Peter to encourage him during that moment. Look what it says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Didn't that give a whole new context to that scripture when you read it right after the last verse? He told Peter, you're going to deny me. And then he says, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you're going to be with me. You know what? The Lord reached out to his betrayer, Then the Lord's love should be evident through each one of us. And then lastly, we see him encouraging and strengthening one who would deny him. So in conclusion, the love of Jesus reaches out to those who betray him. May you and I love those who despise us. It's easy to be be kind to people that love you. The world does that. Someone comes over to your house and just loves all over you. It's real easy for you to love them back. But how do you treat those who are hateful towards you? How do you treat that boss at work that's got an attitude problem? How do you treat the, the person in the family who was always berating you and giving you a bad time? How do you respond to them? The Lord desires that we would reach out to them. The love of Jesus is evident in his followers. May we have a selfless, agape love for one another, loving as Christ loves us. Hey guys, let me encourage you with something. This blesses me almost more than anything that happens here. I'm blessed because people are getting saved through all the time and God's doing a great thing. I'm blessed. But you know what blesses me is new people will tell me virtually every time. I love to walk up and introduce myself. And one of the things I hear more than anything else is, you know what, man, yeah, I do feel welcome here. And man, you guys love each other. I'll tell you what, that blesses me. And that's the way it ought to be. We're a family, amen? And we should be loving each other and making everybody feel welcome. You know what, I want to encourage you to do something. This is my heart, okay? I would love to see you guys hanging out with each other, even when you're not at church. A lot of you do that already, but you know what I mean? Go up to someone new and invite them over for lunch. And just love on them. We're family, amen? We're going to be together for the next billions and trillions of years. We might as well start getting used to each other now. Amen? And you know what? There should be that love for one another. And and then on Saturday, and this blesses me, on Friday, excuse me, I traded my wife's van and I bought her a new van. And it's her birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday, babe. And... and I was trading in the van, and it was really a blessing to me because I was witnessing to the lady trying to sell me the car, divine appointment, right? And we had to drive the car out to Baymont, where my wife works, to make sure she would like it. And so I'm driving the car out there, and I'm talking to the lady about the Lord all the way out there. And we get out there, and she sees my wife come up. And then later on, she said to me, She goes, You know, I've got these friends that are Christians, and they've got this glow about them. And she said, You know what? You and your wife have that same glow. And I said, Praise God, amen? I said, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit, and that's the love of God. We should be loving on people so much that they go, dude, what's up with you, right? Because the world is not that way. It should be evident in those who follow God. And again, he comforts those that deny him. Take comfort that the Lord sees us through his blood, not our shortcomings. He saw Peter in the finished product, not Peter standing by the fire denying him. He knew who Peter was going to be in the end, and he loved him. And Jesus knows who we're going to be in the end. So let me close with this. There's no greater truth in the world than this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? Jesus loves you. He died for you. He'd rather die than live without you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the examples of it and the way you reach out Even to a man like Judas, who had given his life over to the enemy, and you loved him anyway, and you continued to reach out to him. Lord, how you desire that your love would be made evident in each one of us. Lord, that we would be a reflection of you, that we truly would be the moon, a reflection of the sun. Father, teach us to love the world the way that you do. Teach us to love people here in Santa Cruz the way that you do. Help us, Father God, when we're walking around at the mall or we're at work, Lord, to see people with your eyes and to love them supernaturally. And then, Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you see us as the finished product. Lord, that he who has begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just ask and thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. We just ask that you bless just the, the rest of this time, Lord. Just enter us into this place of worship right now. We love you. May it be a love song from our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand up and close a worship song.